0: Welcome to uh, Fox Always, your podcast. guys. Yep. We got a Tim7 the theory, your best guest. Is it Bethany? Calf, is it Bethany?
1: Bethany Shay.
0: Hey, Bethany Shay. Nice. Hey, Bethany, hey, how are you doing? Hey, Bethany, how are <laughs> you doing? Great. <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you, Seth? I'm good. Oh, I'm so nice. glad to hear that.
1: That was an amazing intro. That was like the full thing. Yeah. Like you hit everybody in the room. <laughs> yep. Except for you. Like, who's, who's the special guest today? Me. Yeah, that's right. So, Seth theory. tell us. Tell us a little bit about school today.
0: Uh school, is was good.
1: It was good. Okay. What'd you do?
0: Recess.
1: We had recess. Yeah. We had Mac. You had the Mac, which is after school care. We yeah. We had
0: Doritos.
1: And you had Doritos. <laughs> yes. Your face was orange on the <laughs> we're picking you up. Yep. You got it.
0: Yep. It was a good day.
1: It was a good day? Yeah. Were you a good listener today? Yes. Oh, my goodness.
0: Um, oh, <laughs> hey, Tim. Hey, what? Hey, Dad, because it was a song.
1: Hit that congratulations song, which is <laughs> Seth. Not just Seth's song. I'm on it.
0: Shut please. It's Seth, it's Seth. It's Seth. It's
1: Seth. Ladies and gentlemen, that is about as well uh, of an intro to an episode we could ever come across mike and tim here we're doing a midweek episode and and we have a very special guest besides seth our friend bethany now bethany and i go back you you are what in your 20s still
2: yeah totally 42, yep. 42. Yep.
1: oh come on <laughs> Jeez, how do people age backwards, Timothy? Why and why doesn't it happen to us? That's what I want to know. Keep trying. So, so Bethany, tell just introduce yourself to the yeah. sweet boxology right. audience.
2: <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. So, uh, my husband Jason and I went to Rock Harbor years ago. Jay was on um, an, an team called Involvement where. Mm. He oversaw a bunch of people, getting them involved in Rock Harbor. And that's how we met Mike. And uh, we've just been totally loving all the things that you have to say since that moment. And it's been really impactful in our lives. Um, We moved up to Humboldt County, California, which is, uh, you know, some people think that the Bay Area is Northern California, but about five hours north of that is where we live. And it's in the redwoods, it's beautiful here. And we moved up here 15 years ago to start a church Uh, that rat harbor helped send and so that was really incredible to be a part of that and uh it's called catalyst so we pastor catalyst still we started it 15 years ago um since we started it we've adopted three kids and became foster parents and um and then about seven seven or eight years ago we just really felt personally that um that we needed a little bit more accountability as pastors and a little bit more uh, people who would be willing to check in with us. Being Pastoring of a non-denominational church can feel a little lonely. And I think mm-hmm. we've gotten into some trouble from that, like in our immature phase of life, which, I mean, I guess we're kind of still in the <laughs> immature phase.
1: <laughs> are you speaking we as in Tim and I, or are you speaking we as in you? Because I think that Just could apply. Yes. you guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: <laughs> uh, and so we became, Jason and I became United Methodist pastors. So we pastor two different congregations. One is a United Methodist church and the other is that oh. church plant. Oh.
1: I've yeah. always, okay. So that's why you're in a collar sometimes. Correct. Right. And sometimes you're not. I've I've okay, I've wondered. All right. That's, that makes total sense.
2: Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. And so what do you do with all your free time? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: just I just finished seminary from Claremont School of theology so uh I'm graduating with my master's of divinity in May and pastor three or not pastor uh, parent three very m- different children Neurodivergent kids um we're really involved in their birth families lives as much as we can be which has been pretty great um and yeah, I'm, I'm finding this This year has been a little... So I, I wrote and I published two books.
1: I was going to say, I mean, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> one one uh, is called Stepping into Lent or Stepping into Advent. That was the first one I did. And it's daily reflections on Advent. And then the other one is Stepping into Lent, which is daily reflections on Lent that leads through Holy Week, which we're in right now, and goes to Easter. Um, and I... I looked to get them published, and as you probably know, unless you're like a very well-known person or an influencer, or yeah. you know your your dad's a famous pastor or something, it's really hard for an agent to take a chance on you, and to for a publishing company to take a chance on you. So, um, I was talking to one of my mentors, and he's an author. His name is Justin McRoberts, and he was just like, you know, you can always self-publish. I thought, you know, I just, I shouldn't wait for somebody to take a chance on me before I take a chance on me. So come on, I just did it. And I, and I felt like whoever the Lord wanted to have these books in their hands, that that would, that would happen. So I just trusted that and it's been really fun. It totally risky on my part, but definitely some, definitely some typos in those books. So that's
1: always (laughs) good stuff. <laughs> once you once you hit publish, that's when you really see them. It's always,
3: oh, totally. it's always,
1: always great. And yep. it's still, I mean, it still begs the question, Bethany. What do you do with all your free time? All right, <laughs> after all, all, of that, yes. that is my goodness. And it's, and you and Jason still love each other.
2: We still love each other. We've been married twenty one years, and boom, just. Um, Yeah. We, we, we not only love each other. We really like each other. We, we like spending time together. Um, There's yeah, we get to work together. We get to do everything together, which is pretty incredible. There's things that we're working through tomorrow. We're doing, we both have like individual counseling that we do, but tomorrow we're meeting together with the counselor to like figure out what's happening with each other and how can we better serve and care for each other. And then, um, you know, we both have our own issues that we need to talk through with another person. I, I grew up with like this mentality. I grew up very evangelical where women would never take a a form of leadership in the church or in the home. Uh,
0: Mm.
2: and that took me a long time to unpack and to like receive, um, being like the main teaching pastor at my church, that took me a long time to like receive that for myself. Um, but, uh, so there's there's certain things that still come up in in our marriage that is that I'm dealing with and, I, and it's interesting this whole conversation that you've been having about deconstruction. I think that there's a deconstruction that happens in a marriage in a way. Come on,
3: totally. What,
2: what parts am I needing to slough off, strip away, leave behind? What parts are healthy and good and healing? What parts need mm-hmm. to be like reformatted and and reinterpreted with two to people that are so different? Um and one of the things that we found in our relationship, because I was just like, Well, if, if you're not the head of the ha- family and I'm not the head of the family, then who's gonna make the final decision for our family? Like, where oh, does the, yeah, the box stop? Of course. And, and Jason's like, You bring a third party in, people who aren't like emotionally invested, and then you know, you you work through it that way. So I was like, Okay, yeah, that's what that's what a counselor is for. They can See things that he can't see or I can't see and give different perspective.
1: Wow. (laughs) Well, you can see, dear listeners, why we brought the heavy hitters in for a series of questions we got about the church. And we love doing these midweek episodes because we'll get groups or themes of questions. And they're just all so wonderful and thought-provoking and far too much to respond via email. And so um, we were just like, okay, who can we bring in? Um, and Bethany came to mind, and you know, obviously with her free time, she 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 gets to slot right in, <laughs> no problem. So we've got four or five questions today um, that have to do with various aspects of church life, mm-hmm. and um, and so Bethany, we want your we want your thoughts. Um, in, you know, if you, if you want to lead us off on these, if you want to think about them first, whatever you want to do. Um, but we are so grateful as always, my goodness, to be a part of a community that is so thought provoking. So this is from somebody who said, my wife and I are not able to go to church since I work on Sundays. Mm -hmm. The only church in our area with Saturday services is is not really where we are at theologically. And I'm wondering about your thoughts on the necessity of Sunday morning services to be a part of a church community. I'm not really in a spot to quit my job right now, so I'm hoping for your thoughts and advice. Thanks so much. Mm. Yep. So, what do you think?
2: <laughs> well, I think, it's, <laughs> I think it's a great question. I mean, obviously, I think every question that your, that your listeners Bring in are just absolutely our incredible. listeners,
1: our listeners, Bethany. You're part of this.
2: I am. I am. I, I this is this is my main podcast that I listen to. You and the, the New York Times Daily Podcast. So
1: oh <laughs> <wow>. <laughs> snap. That's a steamed company indeed.
2: Yeah, no. Um I I think my question for this person would be what is it that you're looking for in a church community? Like what is it that you feel like you're missing from a Sunday gathering? Hmm. Uh, that you're longing for in your life. Um, right now, if you're working on a Sunday morning and there's really no other option for a, a church community, I'm just kind of curious what would fill that void if there is one. And yeah, um, yeah and, and what are, I guess my other question is, uh, you know, what what are you doing that already fills that area of your life? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people talk about house churches or what is it that they hope the church would be for them? Um, so how how are you able to invite people into your home? How are you um, able to share meals and break bread with people during the week? Uh, and then, you know, and, and the whole idea of like a church needing to be on a Sunday morning, I know is right. always the question that
1: yes, ask. is there yes. a better it only problem? counts. It only yeah. counts if it's Sunday morning, Bethany. I think that's in the Bible.
2: It's totally in the Bible, yeah, for sure. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Stafford,
3: I know you got thoughts about this, buddy. Well, this is like the question of the last two years as we all t- hit a huge pause button on church was like, well, you know, you hope you, I think we've talked about it a bunch that you'd hope that people were being really intentional with the thought process about it. This could have been, it was a very apocalyptic time for the church. It could have also been a great time of learning and growing and listening and etc. Mm. etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, I We've been wrestling with that here quite a bit, trying to figure out what is the point of church? Why should I be at church? What is the necessity of church? What role does church play? And we have a group of people that we've been meeting with, but I was with Gombus. I was talking to Gombus this week and I was like, hey, listen.
1: There's no, it, listen, you don't have to name drop. drop I don't know if dude, you guys have heard of uh, Gombus. Listen, we, <laughs> we accept you and appreciate you for who you are. I got gombus
3: but I asked him, I said, hey, if you were just moving back to your area after being away for a long time, you had a small group of people, you know, that were like-minded and yada, 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 would you, what would you choose to do? Would you choose to join a church or, you know? And he's like, yes, I would. And I said, really, why? And he said, well, because church forces you to be with people that you wouldn't choose to be with. And then I was like, all right. I didn't have a lot of pushback on that. I think there is. (laughs) He's like, I've been a part of things that you're talking about with like-minded people and they often fall apart um, because expectations are never met in the way that you think they're going to be met, et cetera, et cetera. But I think he's very right that um, I need to be a part of a congregation or a group of people that I wouldn't necessarily choose because that's the flavor of humanity. Mm. So I have to rethink what that looks like in my town um but i think it's i'm leaning towards that being after all this whining and ranting for the last couple of years i'm leaning towards <laughs> joining uh, something there's ah, a little there's a little episcopal ah, church down the street that i might go join mm, nice. nice you're just a boy standing in front of a
1: church that's right asking <laughs> asking to be received and blessed you had me at hello you like there i think bethany i like i like the tack you were taking in terms of you know, what's the Sunday morning church thing? What's that association? Because church can mean a whole bunch of things. So I would I would be curious if church... So I would want to distinguish uh, between church, the organization and institution, and church, the corporate reality of the kingdom of God. Right. And right. so one is not necessary um, to experience the other. But the reason I like having a community is not only what Tim was saying in terms of being around people that aren't like us, but I really enjoy being reminded that my salvation is corporate and that my discipleship is corporate. And so corporate expressions of my devotion. um, I, I've learned to particularly value because everything else is solo, right? And, and as we've been talking about and exploring forever, the predominant expressions of our faith are individual. And so to have, so, so whether it's Sunday or not, whether it's, as you say, breaking bread together in homes, I mean, none of that, none of these questions would have been asked by the early church who met together any chance they could. But there does seem to be, and would you agree with this, Bethany? There does seem to be um, the need to experience the corporate reality of the people of God, it just doesn't, ha- it doesn't have to be so narrowly construed.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Is, are these working?
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: Okay, good. Just want to make sure. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I think we, I think what we as Christians need to do part of that whole deconstruction thing is, is repenting from that need for individual experience. Uh, how many times do people walk into a church and they think, well, that didn't feed me or I wasn't or my my feelings weren't validated, or I didn't feel like something was met for me. I didn't like the service, mm-hmm. and 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 also we come into a church building oftentimes, and we and we're like, how long is the service going to take? I need to get somewhere <laughs> after this. How much longer is this person going to preach? There's like a countdown clock in the back of the church building that says you can't sing longer than this. Many times through this song, um, and I and I think that what we're called to be is well the, the, there was this woman who came to my friend's church and she was from another country and uh, and she was asking my friend what she she wanted to know like about the church and she, but she didn't ask things like how long is the service or what should i wear yeah. or what should i expect what is what usually happens the thing that she asked was how long do we get to be here to worship today so it was almost like the sense of saying this experience that I have with people I do not know and people that I do know, people who are very much unlike me, uh, is the most important experience of my week. And I will do anything to stay as long as I can in a space like this because something radical is happening that doesn't look like anything else in this world. There's nothing else that looks like a church community broken and poured out. There just isn't.
1: Well, that yeah, that's so interesting because in that understanding, and this is worth chewing on, but church is a set of social relationships, social p- political and economic relationships that through I don't I don't know, prior agreement, I guess, we all align towards um, witnessing and embodying the values of the kingdom. But that mm-hmm. that would be interesting. So and, and, and obviously cause you could stay home and listen to great teaching, right? You don't right don't go evaluate a church on its teaching unless it's horrible teaching but if it's average who cares you can go get <laughs> teaching for whatever or same with worship right you can listen to whoever you want to but there's an embodiedness to the jesus thing that is communal and is unescapable yeah um, for those of us who want to live out its fullness so i think that's i think that's great what so let's say uh for both of you let's say we're in this same scenario nothing's working on Saturday night. Hmm. And I'm working on Sunday morning. Um, What are things I can do to, at least until I find a community, uh, what are things that I can do to participate at least in the, you know, the communal and symbolic nature of the church community?
2: Hmm. I guess I, I would say, I would say, seek out relationships with people that are unlike you in your life. Maybe there's people that you work with that, uh, that you interact with, but you've never had them over to your home. They've never been, you've never been to their home. Seek out communities in your midst that you can engage with uh, and invite people into, I, I mean, you don't have to start a house church or anything like that necessarily, but just engage in relationships outside of the normal structures of your day-to-day life. Um, that's something that is, that will transform your understanding of the world and understanding of God and even the understanding of yourself. I'm sure there's better ideas out there though besides a Sunday service.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Tim, What? Do, yeah, you. you guys have been doing something along those lines. We talked about it a bit.
3: Well, those things are hard for me because I am such an introvert. I have to push mm. against every muscle. I think what Bethany, what you just said is absolutely right. I find it very difficult for myself. I've been trying to, over those two years, cause we did have that micro community thing going here and it was just starting to pick up steam right when COVID hit and then destroyed the world. So it was like, and there was a lot of different people at least mindsets that were a part of that. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of speed bumps and trial and error with pulling together an unfamiliar community of people and trying to talk about really important things that some people have deep wounds over and other people, uh, have not ever engaged with or, and it's the whole spectrum of um, different personalities and histories but at the same time I've spent so much of this last two years just reading as much as I possibly can and then just talking other people's ears off and then asking them what they think and I've learned a ton from that like in the, in the me- middle time of waiting to figure out what Sunday morning looks like or whatever day of the week um, I've really appreciated those conversations with people And some of them are people that I don't agree with at all, and I heard their perspectives and I digested it and decided that I still disagreed with them. But um, I don't know. It's probably a myriad of different ways you could approach that situation. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's good. And I think that is a wonderful, wonderful question. And um, fire back at us if you've Mm -hmm. got some follow-up thoughts or if we follow up. up. Uh, Question number two. This gentleman is um, almost sixty, and and has a very very interesting sort of deconstruction, reconstruction story. But he ha- asks a really good question. He says, "My my challenge now is leading my men's group. My church is a seeker mega church that was birthed out of a small reformed congregation." Our attendees are, are from about every background you can imagine, Catholic, charismatic, mainline, evangelical, even a couple of guys that started out Mormon. The problem is that there is still a very vocal group of men that are married to conservative, evangelical, slash nationalistic theological perspectives. These are the guys that always turn to their MacArthur Study Bibles for the answer. While it's impossible to force them onto the journey I've taken, My role has become one of simply encouraging them to ask, what if? What if God's bigger than you imagine? What if, uh, um, yeah, what if God is bigger than you imagine? While my new calling is as a Christian life coach for men, I decided the the better title was Christian wrestling coach. I need to learn (laughs) how, I need to help men learn how to wrestle with their faith. So here's Mm. the question. How do I refute the plethora of evidence the traditionalists can produce to back up their theological claims. Citing Gombas and Erie doesn't carry weight. But the <laughs> goes, no, the fact that I got named with Gombas there, let's, <laughs> that's part of the problem. Um, on a positive note, we are now in our second study by N.T. Wright, which is at very least giving them a glimpse of a different perspective. However, these same men pull out their MacArthur commentaries to dispute things. How do I stop their bounded theology from spreading? boom
2: i love i love the question that he asked that he's asking the people there the what if i think that that's a great place for him to start and he's already allowing in a very gentle way not like not giving them all the answers or trying to like disentangle them when they're not ready to be disentangled from their their bounded understanding of theology but really just inviting them to be curious about something mm-hmm. beyond what they've seen what if what a great question he has there yeah i think it's excellent
1: yes yeah that's already a uh, like a centered perspective right yeah yeah i mean he's already operating from that timothy yeah. timothy you've rescued yeah. many so from many. the macarthur study bible
3: so many um, um i agree though with the the what if i think that that kind of also embodies what uh, Gombus had said before, too, about which was also convicting by having to live in a church body for decades and mm-hmm. kind of just really, you know, this is I'm committed to this group of people regardless and just kind of sticking with it. it. That seems like that kind of a posture of like, I mean, I would like to just be able to display evidence to somebody and have them respond accordingly, you know. Um, just like right in the moment, but I, I think he seems like he's embodying that idea of like, I'm gonna walk a very long road with these people, and that's going to be what it is and yeah, as far as MacArthur goes, I don't know, I hear that all the time too, or those are the predominant Bibles still, whether people know they have them or not. um so that's a tough that's his commentary is so tied into our cultural. Christian understanding of things. That's a. It's almost like saying you're going to take Paul out of the Bible. Wow. I mean, currently that's how people react. You know, uh, to Macarthur. Even as yeah, COVID stuff or the abuse stuff uh, yeah. comes out, people draw their swords to defend him. So
2: yeah, he holds a lot of weight in a lot a of lot. circles. I I was I just taught recently on baptism, and I just got this vision of. Um, I don't know, in the evangelical church that I, I grew up with, there are a lot of different churches. They're like, oh, every time you deconstruct, you get baptized again. And this then mm-hmm. this man has had a lot of different times of his life of deconstruction. And I don't think we're meant to rebaptize necessarily. I think once you're baptized, you're baptized. Uh, but remembering your baptism, I think, is such an important thing. And when, when when I saw when we read of Jesus going under the waters of John and being pulled up out of the water, and then the voice of heavens from God saying, this is my son, my beloved son who I love. I'm well pleased in him. And God was pleased with him before he ever overcame temptation or before he ever healed anybody or did something radical in his life or Mm -hmm. anything. Before he called his people to follow him, before he died on the cross, there was already a sense of God's pleasure in Jesus right from the get-go. And I think that so often when we tack on all these other theological constructs and hermeneutics and everything, um, MacArthurism or whatever, onto who we are as the beloved child of God, um, it weighs us down differently. And maybe for this man, what he could do is invite people to remember their baptism. When you come up out of the water and you've got like Seaweed strapped all over you, of like predestination or, you know, (laughs) women in ministry or whatever it is, kind of weighing you down. It's like remembering your baptism is just saying, I don't need this on me right now. I don't, this isn't, this doesn't belong on me. And you're kind of taking off these pieces of filth that came up with you that wasn't meant to be with you in the first place. It's a stripping away and being grounded in your belovedness, first and foremost, before we call to mind all these other theologians that we are trying to stake our faith in, um, mm-hmm. being grounded in the truth of who we are.
1: That's great. I really like that. And and that's the only way to be centered with people who aren't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. so good. I, I also wonder, um, so so first we're saying, what I'm hearing you guys say is, well done, you're already doing the Some of the key parts right you're you're opening up avenues of inquiry and curiosity about things that you know perhaps we all thought were settled mm-hmm. and um and then you're exposing just to other perspectives and i think um I think there is like one of the very small <laughs> like so when I talk to people who um are say um totally opposed to women in uh ministerial leadership um one of the very first my one of my very first goals is just to get them to admit that we're having a biblical conversation because Mm. what they'll say is hey they're doing the bible and i'm doing something else and so all of a sudden you're in the middle of all the bible work and you're like hey this is a conversation about the bible this feels like a biblical conversation isn't this fascinating we're just both talking about bible verses and so I wonder if there are, like, we can't approach other people from, how do we keep the bounded set from spreading? Because too late. Uh, that's the water we drink and the air we breathe. But I wonder if it's more of a, of, a, of a deep-seated patience. And I think you guys were hinting at that. A deep-seated patience that's willing to simply, in, in a mutual and reciprocal environment, simply take as a win... Hey, NT Wright has a legitimate perspective. Even if they're going to other commentaries to refute it, what you can't argue with is that this is a biblical scholar making biblical scholarship arguments. Yeah. And that at least that opens up, you know, a little bit of the idea that, oh, we can we can be equally committed to the Bible and disagree on stuff. And once you get there, then it's much easier um for me anyway to have conversations that are more fruitful
3: yeah you used to talk about that a lot with the I think when you were starting the Vox OC church and a lot of the conversations because I remember being at this little Presbyterian church in LA and thinking about how many things I disagreed with them theologically but at the there was that idea of being able to break bread with people like being able to agree on certain things and then break bread and That was actually—I mean—it seems awfully simple, but it was very freeing for me in that circumstance. I got to be in that church, be loved by people in that church, love people in that church, and like push and push away some of the seaweed and other things to try to like allow myself to learn and be open and grow. And I think about therapy too, like how much of a therapist's job is to be patient and wait for the right moment to be able to speak into something Mm. specific. And it's just like that could be. That could be a couple of sessions, or it could be a couple of years before you get the you've earned the right to speak right into whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good example too. Is just I think patience. I think you're right. Patience is such a key thing to just human interaction in general. Yeah. Ask my kids. For counter examples, or for no, just about <laughs> how patient their dad is. Oh,
1: oh, Timothy, you're a great dad. We all know it. Oh boy. So just hush. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I really. The question of how to interact and love people well with whom we disagree has to start with the identity that we have. So so my identity isn't in convincing other people that they're wrong and right. showing other people their error. My, my identity is, no, I'm gift recipient, and this is all gravy, right? It's all grace. I don't deserve any of this. And then... um and then maybe uh, I love the inquiry, the, the asking of questions like, yep, 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 yep. What, totally. Why do you see it this way? How does this work for you? Because um, this is some of the most difficult stuff we do, right? I mean, Beth, I can imagine as somebody who's taken some time to have to grow into being the teaching pastor. I mean, this is not like an abstract question for you.
2: no. So no, how, did not all, at all. how
1: did it work in your life and story? How did this work? Did you did you originally come into the conversation believing that you were free to do anything that that you were called to do, or or had you inherited kind of the traditional teaching?
2: Yeah, I definitely inherited the traditional teaching. It, um, I justified it for the first few times of teaching, the first actually probably the first couple years of teaching, uh, believing that I was sharing instead of preaching. I was just sharing my heart.
1: Yes. Yes. Yep. yep. Sharing my heart.
2: Yep. Sharing my heart. Uh, (laughs) And I felt like I had my husband's covering. So, Ah, affirmation. (laughs)
1: Yes.
2: (laughs) Although he would not believe that whatsoever. It wasn't until I'd been teaching for a couple of years and I was reading this horrific book I'm not going to name, but it was like (laughs) just all about male headship and female passivity and. Being his, being uh, my husband's helpmeet, and uh, and I, I was reading it, and I, we were in bed one night, and I turned to Jason, I was like, "Look at this! Look what it says here!" (laughs) And he's like reading it because I'm just like, I'm getting more and more irritated that my husband Mm -hmm. isn't the spiritual leader like this book is saying he's supposed to be. So instead of it being freeing and good and healing, it was causing an irritation within me and a resentment towards my husband. And also it made it so I didn't have to take any responsibility for my own spirituality as well. It oh, totally put me snap. off the
1: hook. Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. So wow. I, I hand him this book and he reads, he reads it and he's like, this is so heretical. And I'm like, what? And he's like, this is the worst, this is the worst like exit Jesus I've ever seen. And I'm like, Oh, please teach me, please.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally.
2: But it was, it was one of those moments where I was, I was like, it, it, um, It made me see something for the first time I hadn't seen before, and then I had to start questioning what it it was that I understood as reality when it came Mm. to my spirituality, my theology, um, what I had been taught. It kind of started the whole unraveling for me in many ways of of what it is that I believe and what it looks like to move forward as a Christian person in this world, um, what I wanted to take with me and what I needed to leave behind. And it was... During the time my church was kind of going through a deconstruction in in, a, in sorts, and so the main teaching pastor was deconstructing his faith and bringing the whole church into that sort of space, and so it was actually a, it was an incredible time. It was really beautiful, but the main teaching pastor deconstructed so far that by the time he was done, he had nothing left, and the, the rest of the church was like, let's build back up, and they were so excited about, like, reconstructing finally, right. and he was like, I'm, I'm done, I'm out. <laughs> so, that was, that was a really challenging time in my life, and then I, it, I felt a little lonely in that time of learning how to reconstruct um, while becoming one of the main teaching pastors out of mm-hmm. necessity since he mm-hmm. was no longer there um oh, wow. But it, yeah, it was it was an interesting season for sure.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The conversation of how do we love each other into our futures? Yeah, um, is endlessly fascinating to me because it was that. Because I almost think like there has to be some some moment of disruption mm-hmm. where we're just like, oh, there's a whole other perspective. And even if you push against it right away, to see that there are actually intelligent people on the other side, definitely is, is a is you know, helps so much to move the needle towards openness. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Great.
2: I, I've once heard, or not, I didn't once hear, I, what I liken it to this whole idea of deconstruction and maybe for this man who, who is pastoring or caring for a group of men that are from a very different walks of life. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes as people, we get further on in our, in our understanding of God, our, the, the expansiveness of God. And so our, 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 um, the clear black and white answers aren't as clear anymore. And so things are a little bit more gray and there's things that we've discovered along the way that are so interesting. And we're so excited to share with people, but not everybody is able to receive mm-hmm. wisdom that we have, um, which isn't necessarily wisdom anyway, because we're all figuring it out as we go. But uh, I, I always think of it as, um, is like when you walk, when you go to see a movie in the matinee, like a matinee movie and it's like, daylight outside, you go into the theater, you're there for two hours, and your eyes have totally adjusted to the dark. And then you come out of the theater and immediately you get a headache because you're in the light, it's too bright, you want to go right back into the dark. And I think when it comes to expressing what uh, your own faith shifts or your own understanding of who God is, that is not the same way that you once knew God to be, um, when we express that to people that aren't quite ready to step into that much light at once, it can cause them to get that headache and want mm-hmm. to pull back and try to avoid and actually get angry that, that we're disrupting their experience of life so much. So it's really, we're meant to just bring little bits and pieces to people who are ready instead of slamming them over the head with something that we're discovering that they might not quite be ready to receive.
3: Yeah, no, that's really good. That's a very anti-evangelical model with just how like, <laughs> with when you think about revival movements, or like, what what were the big events called?
2: Evangel- evangelizing people, or?
3: Yeah, just kinda like the big Billy Graham things, Billy Graham or Crusades, passion things, the Crusades. or the, um, all those different conferences that popped up in the 90s. DCLA. Yeah, and you're just kinda <laughs> like, it's just like this thing to trans, you know, to change as many people as possible in one setting yeah. and then walk out and be like, yeah, that was good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Gold stars in heaven.
3: Yeah. Although I'm one time about. Carmen performed at one of those things and he brought out all the put- like full body costumes for like Satan bites the dust. Do you guys remember Carmen? Totally. So the champion is one of the greatest songs ever. <laughs>
1: <I'm sorry. laughs> um, all right, Bethany, this is going to be right up your alley. Okay. This next one. So there's a lot of backstory. That this individual gets into and it is heartbreaking and there's lots of shame and hurt and pain and guilt and Mm -hmm. and all kind of things which really sets up the question how do i get past the feeling of being unworthy to approach god theologically i know that jesus's death um, defeated the cosmic forces of sin and death and i am made righteous in him that i was adopted and loved as god's son even though I don't have any children of my own. I I have an idea of what that love means. Mm. And yet none of that knowledge matters. (laughs) I'm so bleeping jealous of those people who have felt God's love and presence in their lives. I never have, which is another point of shame. Mm. I just feel so alone and abandoned. People tell me that God has promised me great things. Recently, I heard someone along the lines of, God will never drop you if you love and pursue him. Barf! (laughs) <laughs> Barth. We'll talk about that one. Um, when, when uh, where I am, my mind immediately thinks. So, what does that mean? I'm not pursuing God since I have been dropped, and then it all spirals down further. Mm-hmm. What can I do? What can I read? Is there any way out of the hole I dug for myself? So, we started with ba- the idea of baptism, right? Yeah. There, there yeah. is an, an identity that is symbolically enacted, but points to a legit reality. Yeah. But how else would you? How else would you guys, because you you're both the pastors here. Um, <laughs> I know how, you are too. <laughs> well, mm, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think people in crisis think Mike Erie is the warm, fuzzy guy I want to go hang out <laughs> with. But these two, all that is to say, what do you guys think? I mean, this is something that's really, really common.
2: My, my heart hurts for him. I can just, in the words that he wrote, I can just sense that pain and the shame that kind of, weighs him down in a way that is unsustainable um, because of various life circumstances. And, oh, that question of how do I get past the feeling of not being, of being unworthy to approach God. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like, I don't know if it's something that people can necessarily get past. I think it's living through it, like experiencing, asking the question of why do you feel that? Where does that come from for yourself? And, what part of that is true and what part of that is false and like and sharing what those lies are like is God unapproachable to you and why why do you think that is um I think that there's a invitation for this person and for anybody in a place like this to forgive themselves sometimes mm-hmm. our our inability to approach God isn't because of what we believe about God it's what we believe about ourselves mm. so it's like the you know God God is forever approachable. God is as close to us as our very breath, and yet there could be a chasm between us and God when it when when we believe that we are unworthy to approach God. I mean, mm-hmm. it's that the need to name the pain that we've caused or the pain that we've believed, and then forgive ourselves of that, um, is so so important. Yes. I, I, I remember Nadia VolzWeber. Talked about like a 12 step program thing, like a saying that she was familiar with. And she said, if you have one foot in the past and one foot in the future, it means you're pissing in the present. <laughs> and I, and I, <laughs> I know. Let's all get a visual first, you guys, before we move on. Get a visual. <laughs> one foot in wow. The past, one foot in the future, you're pissing in the present. And I think. I think when we hold (laughs) the resentment in our hearts, when we hold that shame so close to us, when we believe that we are unlovable or unforgivable, then it causes us to really not live in the present because the Mm -hmm. shame of the past and the fear of the future consumes every part of who we are as people. So I think that, yeah, I think that there's an invitation for him to, and for all of us, to learn to forgive ourselves and mm-hmm. and to name the pain in the past too. There's a lot of pain from his past that defines mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who he how he is experiencing God.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah. Pastor Stafford, thoughts, additions. <sighs> no, I think
3: that was really great. And while you were saying all that, I was thinking of your also your metaphor of coming up out of the water before yeah. his ministry and before all that kind of stuff and just knowing being named and being known and seen before. Those accolades, I think is a really powerful image. um I also think like there's just it's we talk a lot about spiritual abuse a lot with um things like gender or um like shame and kind of big gnarly thorny things. Mm. but there is so much spiritual abuse just in like intellectual like damage that has been caused by making people wrestle with. Single lines of scripture or whatever that doesn't come out really like pointed or or sharp, but it comes out and it like ruins people's lives. These questions that he's asking, I've had so many friends bring up the same things. Like, I just don't feel it. I just don't see mm. it. I just don't hear it. Why? Why? Mm-hmm. Why? 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 And it's like I don't. I can't answer that question. Like, mm. <laughs> but I think that there is so much in there is so much in being present, and there's so much in being. And this is again coming from the super introvert finding a community of people that can dispel those things about you. Like as you think that or feel that about yourself, having people that can speak truth and then be like, no, that is not it. And then being like, Oh, and let, let that be, let that be the, the normal that kind of like brings you healing or or even if it just gives you the ability or Mike, you give us the example of the matrix Mm. pulling above the clouds and, mm. the, and being in the sunlight for a second. I think about too coming out of the water when you're swimming and kind of taking that breath of air. Mm. Sometimes you need people that can help you be buoyant enough to, to breathe clearly enough to clear your head before you go back under the water again. So yeah. I think community could be a big piece of that mm-hmm. puzzle.
1: Mm-hmm. Man. I so agree with that. A uh, mentor of mine would, would often say we are hurt in community and we are healed in community. Mm. Like mm-hmm. it's not, not negotiable. I want to I want to beat up a little bit on this God will never drop you if you love and pursue him because Why? the entire Bible would argue with that statement.
2: Absolutely. Right? Yes,
1: I mean, hey, hey, Moses, you're going to be the deliverer, but you're never going to see the promised land. Hey, Jeremiah, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. And then by 20 chapters into your book, you're going to be like, you seduced me and you manipulated me and I cursed the day I was born. (laughs) Hey, Mary, you're going to be mother of Messiah, but a sword is going to pierce your own soul, Mm. too, right? Hey, Paul, this is going to be awesome, right? You're going to be an ambassador to the Gentiles, sure. And, um, you're going to be executed. I mean, you're like, what, what a dumb ass, horrible way to shame people. I mean, we just have to outlaw cliches. I've never even heard this. God will never drop you. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? So, so kind listener, just take that, take that line write it down and then write bullshit over it in large black <laughs> letters and then throw it away. Yes. So that's that's a spiritual discipline. The second thing, and man, we all know this, like sh- shame is my predominant emotion. And yes. I'm just learning as a middle-aged dude, I'm just learning how ingrained, I mean, that that is an operating system that no yes. religious cliche can touch, only reinforce. And hmm. no religious cl- cliche can free me from it but religious cl- cliches can reinforce it, yep. uh, because my whole life is spent filtering those messages in that reinforce the idea that I need a false self, um, uh, because my true self's embarrassing. And so, mm. man, if, dear listener, th- this is years, and this is counseling and spiritual direction and a community of people who love you in your badness. So often, and this was a huge, huge thing that I never had any idea about. So often as parents, we parent our kids only in their goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, when they're good, we praise them. And when we're bad, we punish, shame, guilt, whatever. Um, and then and then there was a guy named John Coe who works at Biola who just one day said, yeah, God, you know, God, to confess your sin doesn't mean to just say, hey, God, I'm sorry, but it means to sit in the weeds of it. And to just sit and not run from it, not promise your way out of it, not excuse your way out of it, not I'm going to try harder your way out of it, like just sit in, in your badness. Yeah. And there are all kinds of disciplines about how to do that, whether it's journaling, whether it's like I had, and I know some of this sounds so whack. And believe me, I'm not. I'm a. I'm a very in my head kind of guy, and that's why this was so powerful. But somebody had me pray over pictures of myself as I was growing up. So every school picture, I found all these old pictures of me. Wow. Um, and I would pray over the the boy that was found in those images, and I thought this is this might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. But because I trusted the person. I did it, and all of a sudden, all those bits and pieces from spiritual direction to counseling to community sort of begin to chip away at the inherited identity and give you, because there's no, I mean, literally, there's no way to talk you out of this. You have to be loved out of this in your badness. So there has to be places, whether you pay them or not, where you're completely naked emotionally. Mm. And, and man, that is the hardest, most brutal work. It could be a 12-step group. It could be anything. It could be a best friend. I would prefer someone who's trained a little bit and seeing patterns and so on. Mm. But it could be somebody who simply receives you in your worst um, and asks great questions. And slowly over the period of, t- I mean, so much time, your inherited identity will begin just to not be so prevalent anymore and you'll begin to realize there is a new filter through which you can filter the world you know and when you're there then the dumb cliche stuff that people told you about how much god loves you can actually get in because there's a different opening that's been carved in the narrative that you've built around yourself gosh that's so powerful well, I have friends who struggle with this. That's all, that's all this
2: is. <laughs> I, I remember reading in in uh, Blue Like Jazz, Don Miller wrote that we learn that we are lovable or unlovable from other people. Mm-hmm. And that, that practice that you did, Mike, is so powerful. Like you showed yourself, your younger self, that your younger self was lovable by, worth, by being worthy of praying over that self. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I mean, how do we receive love from God or love from others if we can't even learn to love ourselves. And I'm not saying like, oh, self-love is like getting a pedicure or something like that. That's not <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. Like actually loving yourself means loving every generation of who you are, every part of who you are, speaking truth into at your adolescent self and the areas that you believe that you were unworthy of love and belonging at that point. Yeah, that's huge. Mm-hmm. So much of what this person wrote in, I think has to do with the sense of connection. Like we are, Mm -hmm. we are created to connect with each other, to feel like we belong to each other and to belong with God. And part of that comes from feeling safe. And there is, um, there's certain areas of our lives as our younger selves that did not feel safe. And so we didn't connect, we didn't belong. We didn't, um, we didn't bond or attach to certain people, but we bonded and attached to certain ideals. Um, and, and, some of the times it, it means that we have to go back to that younger self, validate and care for and love that younger self, so that way we can disentach from, dis, what's the word? Detach from the things that are that, yeah full of yuckiness, sin, gross stuff in our past.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was not at all game for that
3: because
1: mm. um, I've always thought, you know, man, we're so the moral therapeutic deism idea from the early. Uh, 20th, 21st century in the 2000s early 2000s a guy named Houston Smith and I forget his co-author's name surveyed a generation and that was the, that was the name of the deity that they came to believe in moral in that the, the deity wanted you to be good and punish bad therapeutic in the sense that the deity was all about your individual fulfillment and deist in the sense that the, the, the deity wasn't super involved in real life And I've always had that caricature of um, some aspects of therapy. It's like, you know, of course, I need to love my inner child. I mean, I'm just the total dude that's being dumb. Um, But man, I found so much power in some of those exercises that I was like, wow, there really was a disintegration between uh, me and other parts of me and so i speak for those of us who are like nah but i don't know that was really powerful and so you when i was reading your question that that suffocating that drowning that mm. i read into your question man i know what that feels like yeah. yeah you know so anywho
2: can i can i just speak really quick also about the the other question he had about not feeling god's presence or not feeling the emotional yes. Yes. yeah i think that that's a that's a big thing for a lot of people. Um, I mean, it's a big thing for myself. I didn't grow up Pentecostal in any way or charismatic. And so that emotional high, that sugar high sort of worship Mm -hmm. service experience Mm -hmm. was something that I always longed for because that's where I thought God could be found. Um, And if I didn't experience God or speak in tongues or experience God the way that other people did,
0: then maybe I wasn't...
2: Actually connected to God, or maybe God just didn't want to show up to me, to me, and and that that's been really hard throughout my whole life. Even as a pastor, it still affects me today. So I, it's not something I'm gonna. I don't think I'll, I'll arrive one day and be like, finally, the Lord connects with me. You know, you look at Moses, and he had burning bush moments, but those were pretty few and far between over the course of his hundreds mm-hmm. of years on this earth, and or over a hundred years. Um, so I think that most most of us have. Some of those moments that we can like point to, maybe one, maybe half of a one, but really those moments are few and far between. Even even for like Bible characters, and I think of like that. What was it? Elijah who was being chased by Jezebel, and he's like he's trying to get away, and he's searching for God. He's totally worn out. He has nothing left. He has no strength left in his body, and and he ends up in this area, and he's like, I just want to die. There's no point to my life, and 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 an angel bakes him a cake and feeds him this cake, and he takes a nap and he has this jar of water. And after he's like napped and ate and had some water, he continued on this journey and he went to the mountain of Horeb because that's where, or Sinai, because that's, I think it's the same one, that's where Moses met God. That's where Mm -hmm. God moves. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get this idea that I need to have these sugar high spiritual experiences. So I got to go to this worship service at Bethel area. I need to experience God over here or over there. And so we go to the mountain where we experienced God the last time, and we're expecting God to show up in the same way God did. And what happens for Elijah is he shows up and there's this fire, there's this earthquake, there's this great wind, and it says that God isn't in those places. And that's where he was looking. That's what he was expecting. And then God was in the still small voice. And I think for a lot of us, we're like, Frick, I will take that still small voice. I need anything.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: But I think sometimes, at least for myself, I am looking for God in a place where God can't isn't, isn't wanting to show up in the way that I'm wanting God to show up. Mm-hmm. Like I like it, almost my idolatrous version of how God is supposed to move in my life is over here. And yeah. God's like moving over here. And I can't see it because I need God to show up this way. Mm. So I wonder. And for myself, and I know for other people, like, I wonder if there's other ways that God is showing up in your life through the eye contact of a stranger, through um, the best meal of your life being a divine experience or, um, you know, walking through the woods. I think, I think God just God's always with us, and sometimes it's really hard to see because we're looking for God elsewhere.
3: Yeah, you guys can shoot this down quickly because you're smarter than I am. But I often struggle with That's de- so dumb. the, the <laughs> detachment or the separation of intellectual, mm. the intellectual side of all of this, and then just the mystery, wonder, whatever side of it. And it's like we inhabit one or, or I, I'll just say I, I inhabit one or the other, Um, largely the intellectual. And then I will look to the mystery and the wonder, but only to if I can... Justify it through the intellectual, and then I'll mm. have a, a chasm that I will fall into continually. And I wonder if there's just some kind of way to tie those two together in a really constructive way that this is God is so mysterious continually through everything. So that seems to be a key mode of operation that there is a lot of mystery and wonder and mm. provoking things in people, but we are intellectual beings we process, we rationalize, we wrestle intellectually, we prove and disprove intellectually. The marriage of those two things, to me, seems like there must be some divine way of putting those Legos together that fits and build something that is a more constructive way of moving through life, rather than just trying to disassociate those two or wonder at one of them from across. Does that make sense? Like. Mm trying to find that balance rather than trying to always fight the the differences of the two places of sitting. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't have a question. I'm just talking out loud. <laughs> Perfect. This is a podcast of people who process out loud, so it's often...
1: You are short, beloved. Short you are beloved, Tim. <laughs> you are beloved. You don't have to name drop. We love you just as you are.
3: I was talking to Gombus last week though, and Yes, exactly.
1: Joking. Um Alright, well I tell you what, we're over an hour or yeah, we're almost an hour. So why don't we wrap it, even though we've got we've got some more I, it's always a sign of good conversation when you open your mouth and then you look up and it's an hour later. And so Maybe that doesn't make for great listening, but it makes for great talking. So, um, (laughs) Bethany, thanks. Thank you. This is so fun. Where do do people find you online? life? they want to listen to your sermons, where do they go?
2: Uh, You can um, find us on YouTube. Catalyst Church Humboldt is the church I pastor. Um, And I'm on Instagram. You'd have to... My my last name is spelt really weird, so it's Bethany. That's awesome. Yeah, Bethany dot nas dot which is C S E H.
1: Like it sounds
2: C-S-E-H. Just yeah. like it sounds. <laughs> yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So so hey, listeners, dear listeners, you guys are amazing. We hope this is helpful. Um, we just wanna we we just wanna honor your questions, and we're so grateful that you trust us with your stories and Stuff like this. And so the goal isn't, you know, we don't come at this thinking, oh, boy, they're, you know, we've got the great answers. Um, We come at this just saying, hey, we want to be witness to um, the stories that we're all kind of walking in together. And, man, there are some, you know, super painful backgrounds. And so we just are so um, grateful for the opportunity to help wrestle together and at least hear and see what it is that you're walking through. So, hey, Seth, yeah? come here. I'll, I'll you know what time it is, bro. What? You got to close this out. Yeah. We're going to wrap it up. Yep. Okay, go ahead. Grab the thing.
0: <laughs> All right,
1: come here. Come close. <laughs> All right, now, Seth Thomas, what yeah. do you want to say to everybody? Thank you. Okay, that's an excellent way to start. What else do you want to say? We're going to say goodbye to them here in a second.
0: Um, big shout out
1: Big shout out. That's Bethany. About
0: any... Yeah, yeah. Big, <laughs> shout out to who? Tim Stafford on the beard.
1: Tim Stafford on the beard. That's Tim exactly right. Man. And Daddy Mike without the beard. And
0: guys, uh, thanks text watching. Um
1: Thanks for watching. Oh Oh, do it.
0: Let's see up here for Fox podcast and full up uh, with Tim Tim Tim, Tim Stafford, Star Fox, back as a headquarters, I what that
1: yeah, it's, uh, it's a little plaque that, uh, that commemorates the start of the podcast in 2015 and is representative that this is one branch of the Vox World Headquarters.
0: And see you soon. We are the Voxology Podcast.
1: Nice. See you soon. We are the Voxology Podcast. Mm. Boom. Well done. Until next time, friends. See ya.
3: Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also... Join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology Podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.